Welcome to the End Podcast, a podcast about counseling, psychology, and where we explore the various facets of human behavior, experience, and psychology through the lens of and rather than that of or with the help of everyday experts out there like yourself. I'm your host for this podcast, Sean Welty. Now, let's begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The End Podcast. This is Sean. And I first want to start off by saying thank you so much for being so patient. As you know, a couple days ago, when this episode was scheduled to drop, I ran into some technical difficulties. I'm happy to say that those technical difficulties have been resolved. And as promised, I am dropping this episode at the end of the week, rather than moving it to the following week. In this episode, I'm changing the format a little bit. I'm going to flip the mic, as they say. And by that, I'm allowing you to ask me questions. A few weeks ago, I put out on social media, and if I remember correctly, it was mostly Facebook, that if you wanted to ask me questions, this was your chance. And those questions could be anything you wanted to know, anything about me, anything about psychology, anything about counseling, anything in general. And I would try to answer them on this episode. I'm pleased to say that I got many questions and I'll have to say that most of them came from previous guests. It was interesting to see the depth at which I was asked these questions. And some of them, I'll have to say, you got me. You went deep. So I'm going to have to get a little vulnerable here, as, as Brene Brown would say. And that's okay. So without further ado, I want to start off with our first question. Our first question comes from a previous guest, SD Rains McDaniel, and let's see what she has to ask. What is the average age that people tend to look into therapy or counseling, and is it successful no matter the age? SD, thank you so much for this question. I think this is an important one to lead in with. You know, I get the impression from several people that I know either personally or after speaking with them on another level that many people feel like therapy has this magical window of opportunity to make the most impact. They might be thinking also that either they're too old for therapy, they're too set in their ways, or they'll get therapy when they're a little older, or that they don't have time for therapy, that, you know, they'll put it off until they can. 
And then ultimately what I see happen is people put it off and put it off until it becomes critical mass, when it becomes a crisis, or they don't get the help for the, the issue or the, the challenge that they have in their relationship or whatnot. And it just always festers and always becomes a dysfunctional pattern of behavior. I'm here to tell you that whether you're five or 105, that therapy can work. There's no magical age and it can be just as effective at whatever age you're at. There's also a saying that an old mentor of mine said once, it happens when it happens because that's when it's supposed to happen. By that, it sounds circular, but it really means that wherever you're at right at this moment is when it's supposed to be. I think there's only two concepts that you need when you're entering into therapy, and neither one of them have to do with age. The first one really has to do with a willingness to change. You really want, have to want to be able to change what's happening in your life and make an impact there that's for the better. Whether that's you know be, being more true to yourself or increasing your level of happiness or changing careers and wanting to know what the best path for you would be, or maybe it's something you're seeing with a partner that you know you don't want to continue to perpetuate then that's where the willingness is the other part that i see is the openness you have to be open to the guidance that a therapist can give you and by that I don't just mean that you need to be open-minded about it. There's another part of that. You have to have a willingness to hear about the things that you might be doing dysfunctionally. And I don't say wrong for a very specific reason, because it's been my belief and that of others before me, that behaviors serve a purpose and they only get perpetuated when they serve a specific purpose. But they become dysfunctional as you change, as things mature, as things change around you, as a situation might change. They become dysfunctional behaviors that get seen as maybe something that is wrong. I guess you could say in the colloquial words. So you have to be willing to hear the therapist say that back to you. Hey, I noticed this. How are you feeling about this? And it might bring up a sense of vulnerability. It might bring up some shame. It might even bring up some guilt. That's where the therapist can work with you. And you have to be willing to go there. 
if you want to clear out that negativity and that, you know, dysfunctional behavior and change it into something that is functional. Hi, Sean. It's said that anybody that gets into the field of social work is there for a reason and not just the money, because as we know, it's not the highest paying field, particularly for a master's degree. So would you mind sharing with us what your motivation was for getting into this field of work? Ken, thank you. And I think you've just entered into the realm of going into deep things. You've made me go and get vulnerable here, Ken. And I think that's uh, amazing. Thank you so much. You're right. The salaries are generally not what we go into this field for. I'm going to get a little deep here. And if you feel like passing by this, that's perfectly fine. But I'm going to go back into my history, and I guess you could be a little Freudian about it. It started back in school age when I started always feeling like a misfit. Really didn't feel like I fit in. You know, I was the kid that played the clarinet in the school band. I liked Star Wars and Star Trek and X-Men, you know, and a lot of other not-so-mainstream things that were happening back in that time. I even had a jean jacket that a friend of mine gave me because of my love of country music. She found a picture of a certain red-headed country singer and had it airbrushed on a denim jacket that I wore very proudly, I might add. that kind of went into my college years. And some of my guests who have known me during those college years might even remember it. I believe at one point there was even a ransom on that, I was told, just because it was so hideous to them in their eyes. But I digress. If this kind of proceeded into this, the sense of I didn't belong, I didn't fit in, kind of infiltrated the rest of my life. I wasn't into sports. I wasn't sports-minded. Really not that much into sports even now. I mean, yeah, okay, I will root for the Giants. I will root for certain NASCAR drivers. Might even root for a, a baseball team or two. But ask me about stats, ask me about win-loss ratio, anything of that nature. I just can't do it, guys. It's just not something that I'm that interested in. I wasn't also the most social, as you might think, um, going into college. I tended to not really want to focus on the social life. I wanted to focus on the studies and get my degree and, and get out of there. Um, I really even found it even later on as I started my career and started to get into the workforce where I couldn't hold 
what I considered higher level conversations because I didn't have the life experience or the expertise of having been in the field long enough to be able to feel like I knew what I was talking about. It kind of developed, I guess, into what I guess someone would say would be imposter syndrome, I guess. But, you know, as they say, every good therapist has a therapist behind them. I went and I worked on these issues. And I found that, you know, what I felt wasn't necessarily the mainstream. You know, not everybody was into sports. Not everybody knew every single stat about a particular team or a particular driver. Not everybody had a lot of expertise in their field. And we're talking from a place of knowledge. Some of them, I hate to say it, but some of them might have been actually mimicking what they heard. So as I grew and I developed, I guess you could say that maturity-wise, I didn't mature until I hit therapy. The age of therapy, I guess you could say. And through that, I was able to find some coping skills. I was able to challenge some of those thoughts. And I will tell you, it is not easy. Another saying that my mentor used to say is therapy is not for the faint of heart. I believe I mentioned it in a previous episode as well. And it's true. You get to challenge a lot of things that you get a lot of shame and guilt about. And it's not always the easiest. It's not always the friendliest. People have this notion that therapy is going to make you feel lighter than air walking out on the first session. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes that doesn't happen five years into therapy. But on that last day, when you resolved everything, it sure does. It's with that experience in mind or those collective experiences of not fitting in, of feeling like a misfit, of feeling like a, almost like a failure, and feeling like an imposter that I then also wanted to protect others from, from feeling that or to help them heal from feeling that. So that's why I went into the field that we're in, in this therapy, social work area. Thank you, Ken. I'm so glad to be able to be telling this story in the hopes that maybe some of my listeners out there feel similarly and want to know that there is hope. What is something you would tell yourself as a child that would have a really big impact on you now as an adult? This is such a thoughtful and provocative question. I'm not quite sure I can fully answer this, but I hope to do it justice. Esty, this question kind of brings me back to what I was talking about in the previous question with Ken, 
in that experience that I had. And I guess it's, it's, it's kind of hard for me to put into words what that message was as a child. I, I guess, I guess it would be, I don't fit in, I don't belong, I'm not cool enough, I'm not popular enough, I'm not good enough. Yeah, yeah, I think it boils down to, I'm not good enough. And that's a very, a very poignant thing to say and to carry with you into adult life. I've used that through the transformative properties of therapy and counseling and working on my own stuff to be able to use that in a way that I hope is helpful to my clients. What I mean by that is that I use that sense of I don't belong, I'm not good enough into in the therapy room so that others don't feel that. I try to make everybody feel respected and valued and accepted. Not only that, but actually cherished and supported. I want them to feel like when they leave that room that this person that is hearing them may not know all there is to know about you, but he's willing to listen. He's willing to pull everything apart with you. He's willing to fine tune the symphony that is your life and your experiences. And to make this a better experience for you. That can sometimes be a little bit of a negative to some people, as I've come to learn. Sometimes it comes across as pushy and maybe a little too passionate, maybe a bit of a one-track mind. And I'd be silly to tell you that therapists don't look at that on their own issues and whatnot. They don't constantly evaluate what they're doing. To that end, I'm going to say that I'm working on that and that it's a work in progress as everything truly is. So stay tuned. I guess would be the, the answer to that. Thank you, SD. That was a great question. I have a question for you. This is Diane, and I appeared on your podcast when we talked about PTSD. And I know that you worked in the past specifically around trauma, and I'm wondering what got you interested or involved in that type of work? Hi, Diane. Thanks for this question. You know, I think it's just like with 
the basic therapeutic process that this answer that I'm going to provide actually builds upon and dovetails from the other answers that I've offered here with Ken and SD. I originally got into the trauma therapy aspect of psychology therapy and counseling because I had been working in substance abuse for quite some time. And the common theme that I was seeing there was that of very similar to my own upbringing where people felt less than, people felt picked on, people felt bullied. And I'm realizing as I'm hearing these stories that trauma is in a lot of people's lives. It's a lot more prevalent than people want to believe. Now, I'm not talking about like the big T kind of traumas that you see, like, you know, natural disasters or sexual assault or, um, you know, being mugged or something like that. I'm talking about the little T traumas. I'm talking about the bullying. I'm talking about the workplace violence. I'm talking about the common things that people tend to sweep under the rug or not talk about because they're ashamed to. Even hazing in colleges can be considered a little T trauma. And I guess big T trauma would be similar to that. And it really is dependent on the person's perception of it, whether it becomes a little T or a big T. But I'm seeing all these traumas in my experiences as a therapist. And I want to help them. I want to help them move forward from this. And while my, my focus at the time was in substance abuse, and I'm seeing all these traumas, I was also seeing where working on the traumas helped them maintain recovery. And it was something that I wanted to do more of. So I started to look into other areas of trauma that I could help with and maybe be proactive and allow people not to go down the path into substance abuse and self-medicating behaviors. I don't think the journey is over yet. So I don't know if this fully answers your question. Maybe we should look to answer this a little more in maybe a couple of years and see where things have changed since then. Thank you, Diane. This was a great question. And like I said, I hope I did the, the answer justice. 
you know, it's not necessarily something that I can give a a complete answer to just yet because it is still a work in progress. If social media went away tomorrow, how would you stay engaged with people to get your message out? SD, that's such a thoughtful and provoking question. And I don't know if I can fully answer that right now. Let me explain where I'm coming from on this. I have been in situations where prior to social media, you got your message out through conferences and workshops and presenting to an audience that wasn't the client. It was counselors, psychologists, social workers, therapists, psychiatrists, but very rarely was it ever the client. That was my experience prior to social media and things like Facebook, Twitter, even MySpace back in those days. I suppose you could write letters and send them to the general public, but I have a feeling they would go the way of a spam email. They would get thrown in the trash. I guess podcasting would be the only way that I can think of right now that would not be considered social media right now. Although I think that's kind of changing as we speak. It could be something that could come onto the radio at some point so that people can listen to it while they're doing other things, just like they could do with a podcast. And maybe even a streaming channel, like a media channel, like a TED Talk or something like that. I suppose that would be the way of the to get the message out. It's a great question. I'm going to have to give this some more thought, too, because I don't think I've answered this one fully. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I really had a lot of fun doing this, and it was very challenging, and at the same time, very fun. I really want to say thank you to my previous guests, SD, Ken, and Diane, who provided such great questions. If you want to send me a question for an upcoming episode, I want you to go to the AND Podcasts page on anchor.fm. There, you'll find a button that will send me a message. You can record your message in your own voice. It will come directly to me, and I will be able to answer your question on an upcoming episode. If you don't want to have your voice recorded, that's okay too. There's other ways to get a hold of me on social media, wherever you see the end podcast advertised. Or you can go to our website, which is the 
and-podcast.com and you can send me a message there. There's many ways to get a hold of me. If you have any questions, if you have any feedback that you'd like for me to know about this. So again, thank you and I'll see you in the next podcast. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The End Podcast. Did you like what you heard? Then make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, tell a friend about the show. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode? Go to The And Podcast on anchor.fm and send me a message. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.